place to get a good night's sleep. I know that. And uh, even when you go to bed at a reasonable hour, maybe your pillow isn't just right or there's somebody in the proximity that uh, makes a lot of noise. You know what I'm saying? They do things like... And uh, it's hard to get to sleep. Maybe you don't have your favorite teddy bear. And uh, you, so you lay down and you go, oh, I forgot my teddy bear. I can't ever go to sleep without my teddy bear. Whatever it is. But uh, in the, just the fact that we get all excited, we meet new people, and we've been going all day long. Maybe we get overtired sometimes when it's you know, 90-some degrees every day. It's uh, very likely that that's going to happen to you. It is good to see you. I, I've slept well here. I really have. The first night I got over seven hours. That's good for me. That's pr pretty much what I get when I'm home. And last night I probably got about six and a half. So I'm all right. And I love air conditioning. What a great invention. I don't know who invented that, but uh, you know, I could kiss him or her, whoever it was. I promise you. On a, a around one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon when you're standing out underneath that sun and it's just coming down and baking you and you can feel the heat, the direct heat from the sun and the heat of the, how it's heated up the air. It's something. Now you're a little warmer than we are in this part of the country, although we've had a pretty warm summer back in New York. But uh, I don't, I can't remember maybe one or two summers coming out here for youth camps and old McDonald's farms and other conferences where it was cool, maybe one or two. Usually it's just like it is here. And so enjoy it. Find a place where you can get, uh, get aside, get some shade, drink plenty of water, and get some sleep at night, and you'll survive till Saturday at noon. We're talking about uh, the subject of faith. Now, I know that that's a fundamental it's an elementary subject, and there's probably some of you who, uh, uh, when, when you hear that we're going to talk about that, you say, you know, I really went to this conference thinking I'm going to get something beyond that, whatever that is in your mind. Maybe we're going to do a study in the judgments in the book of Revelation, or we're going to take a mysterious parable of the kingdom of heaven, and we're going to kind of unravel that thing. And I like doing all of those things, but there is nothing that I, that I have ever taught that is more important than understanding what genuine faith is all about. Genuine faith. In fact, we started, if you want, open your Bible this morning and go to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's pick up at the verse, because this is my theme verse, and I'll tell you what I'm going to be doing tomorrow so you can sleep in if you want to. But uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I'm going to ask you a question, then we're going to pray. The question is this, what is... It was put this way to me many years ago. Let me back up a second and ask it this way. If you were accused in a court of law of being a Christian, what kind of proof could they bring forth to convict you of that charge? What do you do differently, or what is it about you that's different from, and I mean something that's observable, evidence, substance, that someone, a sharp prosecuting attorney, could bring that evidence forward and say, I can prove that this individual is a Christian. 
You think about that for a moment, and we'll pray together. Father, we are coming to you this morning because you are our helper, you are our savior, you are our light, and we ask you and your Holy Spirit to open our eyes and guide us into all truth this morning. Thank you for the privilege of standing here before these people and bringing the word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would be pleased, that you would be honored, that Jesus would be glorified in these next few moments, for it's in his precious name I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Verse number six in that chapter is really kind of the outline for the four times that I'm going to speak. It says in verse six, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. So yesterday I said this, the most important thing that you can do is please God. And the reason for that is that is the purpose for which you were created. Where did I come from? Why am I here and where am I going? Why am I here? I am here to bring glory to God. That's one way of expressing it. I am here to bring pleasure to God. Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Everything was created for God's pleasure. And if you go through your life and you do not bring God pleasure, you're missing the whole reason why you are here. Your life gets a big F. You are what I would call a big loser. If you do not please God with your life. That's why we're here. So uh, our brother Mark is preaching on, uh, in the evenings on the subject of prayer. And you can't have effective prayer or the kind of prayer that, that uh, uh, gets God's attention without having genuine faith and being an individual that pleases God. We gave you a whole list of things yesterday that specifically say this pleases God if you do this. So here's the outline that I'm going to give you. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So that's what we talked about yesterday, and today I'm going to get more theological about the subject of faith. We're going to take our Bibles. I hope you can see. I know the light is a little bit dim, so I hope your uh, eyesight is good. But we're going to go to the book of Romans, and we're going to study what faith is all about theologically. But then it says, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. What I'm going to talk about tomorrow morning is I'm going to bring you a lesson on apologetics. Now, that gets some of you excited. Some of you are just confounded right now. You have no idea what that means. But we're going to, we're going to bring a little bit of apologetics. I have a, he's a friend, I can call him a friend, who is an atheist. In fact, he is uh, the head of the free thinkers of upstate New York or something like that. Basically, that means he's an atheist. And uh, I got into a conversation over the internet and actually have gone to lunch with him a couple times to talk about what he believes, why he believes there is no God. And then I've had the opportunity to present to him my case, why I believe there is a God. And we've gone back and forth, back and forth. I mean, I've talked to this individual probably more than anyone else other than my wife in the last few years. He's a smart fella. He's a scientist. He's an engineer. That's what he does for a living. And uh, so 
I've learned a lot about where the atheist is coming from, and in the process of it, I've learned a lot about how to deal with people like that. In fact, I, uh, uh, after I got into this, I read 45 books on apologetics and put together my own notebook and teach a course in our Bible Institute on the subject of apologetics. But I'm going to bring you just kind of a mini version of it tomorrow. And what are the things that are proofs for God that we can bring to somebody and say, you need to consider this, because this is evidence that there is a God. When we talk about discussing this or arguing or apologetics, what we have to do is we have to bring substance in evidence to the atheist to prove our point. It's like going into a court of law where you present your case. Here is my evidence, and then you ask that your opponent, you bring forth your evidence. Bring forth your evidence that there is no God. Now think about that. That's a hard thing to do. It's very difficult to prove something negative like that. It's very difficult. You really do have the advantage when you're talking to an atheist if you know what you're talking about. Have you ever had a conversation? Or did you start a conversation and just immediately get frustrated and feel like you were playing an away game and didn't want to carry it on and just said, well, I believe the Bible, I believe the Bible is the word of God and I believe that Jesus Christ and blah, blah, blah. And you just said that to them. Well, they don't believe that. So you have to, in some way, bring forth evidence to that effect. So we're going to talk about that tomorrow morning in our first session. The second session tomorrow morning, we're going to pick up the end of verse number 6 that says, and that he is a rewarder. God is a rewarder. What does God reward? I'm going to give you 10 Uh, passages of scripture that tell you that God rewards you on the basis of something. And uh, they're very common verses. Maybe maybe you've just taken them for uh, granted, taken them lightly, but we're going to look at these things, and that takes us all the way back to the thing about faith. Because there must be evidence, there must be substance in your life to provoke God to bring forth blessings on your life. Now, we're all blessed by the common grace of God, if I can use that term. We're all blessed. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, the Bible says. So all men are the recipients of God's grace. But all men are not rewarded by God on the basis of their character, their behaviors, their personal performance as a human being. You know people and I know people that are living a very, very difficult life. And some, I don't know why. But some, I know why. Because I've watched their lives and they've been asking for it for the last 20 years in their life. And now they're receiving it. Went to a funeral just a few months ago for a young man, a good kid, but wild. Good kid, but a wild kid. And, you know, he's just always asking for it. He went out one night, got on his motorcycle, and broadsided a pickup truck at 100 miles an hour. 
There was nothing left of his motorcycle or him after hitting that pickup truck. Can you imagine doing that at 100 miles an hour? But he was crazy. He always did crazy things. He was always tempting fate, and it was like, it's just a matter of time. Now, I feel terrible for him, but I know people that have done even dumber things, and they're just waiting for their execution is what it is. They're waiting for everything to cave in on them. Whether they're cheating on their wife or they're stealing from work or whatever it might be, they can't carry on a decent relationship with anyone. Sooner or later, their life is going to cave in on them and they're going to have to pay the consequences. The same thing is true for Christians. When you live your life and you are a, diligently, a diligent seeker of God, like 11.6 says, God is going to bless your life. He promises that in the word of God. You don't have to wonder if he's going to bless you. It's an absolute promise that you can take to the spiritual bank by faith. So that's what we're going to do. But today what I want to do is I still want to talk about faith, but from a more theological perspective, if I may. Remember the illustration that I gave to you yesterday, and that was an illustration about my marriage relationship and how I entered into that. And I went back to the book of Deuteronomy, and uh, we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 10, 12, and 13. A question is asked there, what is it that the Lord God requires of you? And there's five things in that text. Number one, fear God, then walk in all of his ways, love him, serve him, and keep his commandments. So I took those five things, and I moved them over into my new relationship with this young woman. Her name is Penelope. Not a lot of Penelopes around. That's why I married her, because I wanted to marry Penelope, and they're hard to find. So I found one, so I married. But anyway, uh, our relationship started out in a sense of when I say fear, when you meet somebody new, particularly as a, you, you ladies might not understand this, but a young man meets a young lady and she's something and you'd like to get to know her a little bit better, you're on your best behavior, at least you should be, and you want to try to see, see if you can get a little bit of acknowledgement and affection from her. We kind of trade that, you know, when we're first into a relationship with another individual. But there's a fear. Uh, I don't want to act the way I normally act with the guys. Now, before I was a Christian, I wasn't. <laughs> and I acted like one that wasn't. So when I went out with the guys, I was a different type of person. But I didn't act that way with my girlfriend or my newfound female friend, Penelope. I was on my best behavior around her because I wanted to be accepted by her. I didn't know how far this relationship would go. So there was, I'm calling it fear, a very healthy respect for her, almost a sense of awe. You know what I'm saying? Now, when we talk about fear in the Lord, it's more than that, but it's at least what I just said. And what that does is it causes us to walk in all of her ways. What does she expect? What does she like? You want to go to a picnic? You want to go to an amusement park? You want to go to the opera? You want to go to a movie? What do you like? And all of a sudden, I find myself liking the things that she likes. Isn't that the way it ought to be as a Christian? We begin to like the things and appreciate the things that God likes as we read the Word of God. 
And then what happens, and I don't know what day it is when you fall in love with God, and I'm not sure what day it is when you fall in love with this young lady or this young man, but one day you wake up and you go, I'm in love. I'm in love. I'm in love. Whatever that means to you at that point in life. A new feeling or sense has come about you that you've not felt before, not certainly toward this particular individual, and you're in love. Now, that doesn't happen on the first date. I don't believe in love at first sight. I believe in lust at first sight, but I don't believe in love at first sight, okay? Love is something that comes through respecting an individual, walking with that individual, and then one day you wake up and go, I'm in love. Same thing happens with God. A lot of us say, yeah, I believe in God, I believe the Bible, but we're not really in love with God until we come to a place where we've walked with him for a while and all of a sudden we realize, man, this was the best decision I ever made in my life. Trust in Christ as my Savior. Look what it has done. Look at the future. Look at the present. Look at the abundant life. And you begin to realize the good things that God has brought into your life you fall in love, which leads to a desire to serve him, serve him, not to serve him because you're trying to get something out of him. I, I liken it to buying my wife a birthday present. I don't buy my wife a birthday present, and I do, by the way. I don't do that because I got to. I don't do that because I fear retribution. If I don't, she'll get even with me. I look on the calendar and I see that September 24th is about to roll around and I go, ah, September 24th, another birthday present. I got to buy my wife another stinking birthday present. Seems like she has a birthday every other month. This is going to break the bank, right? That's not how I look at doing something for my wife. I do it out of love. Service comes out of love. It doesn't come out of fear. Fear, we walk. Then we love. Then we serve out of love, not out of fear. And then the last thing in that list is a keeper of the commandments. So I liken that. Now, if falling in love with God is similar to falling in love with uh, your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, or whatnot. Can you imagine? Let's go, let's go to uh, Brother Mark's message about prayer. Okay, so we're going to enter the gates with thanksgiving. So we come to the gates with thanksgiving, at least, you know, uh, superficially we are, and we walk in and we've got our God to-do list. God, uh, here I am today, and I've got a list of uh, 73 things that I want you to do for me. Here they are, I need better health, I need a gym membership, I need a girlfriend or a boyfriend, I need a better job, I need some education, I need some more money. And here is this list that we bring in our prayer time to God. Can you imagine me? Oh, Penny, I love you. By the way, here I am. When you go to the store, this is how I know I love you. I want you to get me, I want you to get me some roast beef. I want some mayonnaise, salt and pepper, and I want some of those Italian rolls, okay? And be sure that you, is that showing love to my wife? And how many times do we show up at the doorstep, at the gate, and we don't have a thankful heart? And we show up with a laundry list of things that we want God 
to do for us. Think about that. As Brother Mark preached last night, I started thinking along these lines, and I thought, you know what prayer is? Now don't laugh. Prayer is like two lovers laying in bed, husband and wife, with their arms around one another. And they're saying, honey, oh, I love you so much. I don't know how I'd make it without you. You know, when I met you, I was just struck. I was in awe. I didn't know what to say. And you, coming into my life, you've changed my life. I want you to know, honey, I love you so much. Why isn't our prayer life like a romantic conversation between a husband and a wife? Laying there in the still of the evening as they both are going to bed, conking out for the night, and just talking to one another until they both fall asleep. When's the last time you prayed like that? When's the last time your prayer was a romantic conversation with the creator of the universe? Do you think he would spurn you if you came to him like that? Why don't you just tell him how much you love him, how much you care for him, how thankful you are for all that he has done for you, how he's turned your life around, and how he's turned your future around. Even in spite of the circumstances of life, the negative things, it's all going to be, honey. It's all going to be all right. It's all going to be all right. When I was a young man, I ended up in Vietnam. The thing that got me out of Vietnam were letters from my wife, letters from my wife that came almost every day. I was in the infantry in the bush. We had resupply every other day, probably. And when that resupply chopper came in with ammunition and sea rations and water, it came in with mail. And when mail call came, there were two or three or four letters from my wife there every time mail call came. And I'd open those. We had just got married that year. We had been married 10 months, when, 11 months, when I was drafted into the Marine Corps to go to Vietnam. And I'd read those letters, and they'd say, George, I miss you so much. I hope that you're doing well. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I can't wait till you come home. We're going to have such a big party. And there were several things my wife said that I cannot repeat publicly before you right now. But it was, it, they, those letters were romantic. They were romantic. It was like praying with one another, reading them back and forth. And let me tell you, those letters... When people say, how come you didn't lose your mind like so many other people? Those letters kept my mind together. I wasn't saved, but my wife's love letters from the United States of America, reading those love letters and believing what they said, hooked me up with God and kept me going day after day after day after day. Now, do you see the application God has written you a love letter, my friend. 
Can you imagine me getting mail from my wife in Vietnam, looking at what's from my wife and throwing it away or ignoring it or putting it someplace where I lost it or can't find it? No way, my friend. I found myself a nice foxhole somewhere, opened that thing up immediately, and I began to read. Six pages, both sides, legal stationery. I miss you. I love you. I can't wait till you come home. That kept me going. It wasn't music, listening to some GI network and all the popular songs back in the United States. I wasn't listening to some counselor that was trying to level me out. I wasn't entertaining myself to try to get through it. It was the love letters from my wife that kept me going. What do you think God gave you this book for? And then we take it and we just throw it aside. My Bible, I don't even know where it is. I'm not even sure. Maybe it's in the trunk of my car. When's the last time you read it? How come you can't find it? God, help us. Christianity is not doing well. I've been in this thing for going on 50 years. We're not doing well, people. We're abandoning the book. We're trying to find other things to supplement our Christian life. I'm all for worship music and worship videos and books about counseling and marriage and and, uh, finances and all the different stuff, the spirit-filled. I'm all for it. I got about 2,000 books that I own myself. I told you I read 45 apologetics books. I'm a book reader. But I'm this book reader. This is the number one book. And if the book I'm reading doesn't line up with this book, throw it in the trash can. And if they're not getting their information from this book, the truth from this book, why are you reading it and sucking in that poison into your mind? Why am I saying this? You know what the answer to that question is? I don't know. This is not what my sermon is all about. <laughs> I don't know what my sermon's all about. No, I do. Go to the book of Romans. I know what it's all about. I want to talk about faith. This is real stuff, people. This isn't just, you know, entertainment for the weekend. Let's go to Warrensburg and meet our buddies and our friends. You're going to go back home into a world that's becoming more unfriendly to Christianity. Rejecting the truth of the gospel. You're going to have to be stronger and sharper than you've ever been when you go home. I hate to say that to you. Some of you ain't going to make it. You're not going to make it. Because you're not reading the love letter from home. I read it. It says, George, one of these days you're going to come home. The war, it's going to be all over. There's not going to be any more of this sin stuff and people defiling the, the sanctuary and the tabernacle and the name of Christ and blaspheming God. We're going to have a new heaven and a new Jerusalem and a new earth. And George, you're going to live there. Wow! Wow! I think I can keep going another day. Lord, thanks for the letter. Thanks for the letter. Do you believe the letter? Yes. 
That's what faith is all about. If you don't read it, you can't believe it. If you can't internalize it and don't internalize it, you're not going to believe it. It's not going to come through for you when you really need it because you don't know. You don't know God. You don't know faith. You don't know genuine Christianity. You're just playing a game. Faith. Notice in chapter 3 of the book of Romans. We're going to do a quick scan and I'll be done, all right? Chapter 3. Chapter 3 is a mess. You know that. It says in verse 10, there's an unrighteous, no, not one. And then what follows it is a whole list. Romans 3.10, a whole list of indictments against humanity. And it says in verse 18, here's the problem. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Faith starts with the fear of God, remember? Which brings the fear of the Lord, brings knowledge. Then it's knowledge that brings belief. It brings faith and commitment and trust and obedience and all the things we talked about yesterday. There's no fear of God. But I want you to notice this. Look at verse 22. But even the righteousness of God, which is by faith. Faith has not been in the book of Romans, the topic of discussion. But now it comes in. After we see all the problems of Revelation, excuse me, Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, and Romans chapter 3, now the solution is coming. The solution is faith. It says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all upon all them that believe, for there's no difference. For all have sinned. Come short of the glory of God. Notice verse 25. Faith, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Look at verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Look at verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith. Notice verse 30, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith. Look at verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid we establish the law. See, faith is coming into view. He keeps using this term, faith, faith, faith. Faith is the solution to Revelation chapter... I got Revelation on my mind. Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 In Romans chapter 3, the solution is faith to the problem that's presented. And chapter 4 now illustrates it. Chapter 4 tells us this, that salvation or righteousness does not come from our own works. That was my big problem before I got saved. It also tells us that righteousness is not derived from circumcision. If you're a Jew, it also says Abraham's righteousness came apart from the law. That's what the first 15 verses of Romans chapter 4 are all about. You can't get saved by these things, by your works, by being circumcised, or keeping the law. That's 15 verses of Romans chapter 4. Well, what can save you? Faith. That's where this is going. Genuine faith. But we're going to find out what that is. Verse 16. Therefore, since those three things cannot bring justification or salvation, what we are left with is faith. The faith of Abraham. Look at verse 3. What saith the scripture? How was Abraham justified? 
Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. What a simple statement. Abraham's faith. And that's what the rest of the chapter does. Now let's illustrate that. Verse 16 again, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, Jews, under the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham. Abraham wasn't a Jew. He was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. The Israelites come out of Jacob. Now, yes, Abraham is a grandfather, but he wasn't a Jew, and that's done on purpose. Because the point, or one of the points of this chapter is, salvation is for both Gentile and Jew, and Abraham is our illustration and example. For he received imputed righteousness before there was any Israel, before there was any Jew, Before there was circumcision, we're talking Genesis 15, quote in verse 3, as opposed to Genesis 17, where circumcision came in. So, his faith preceded circumcision also that brought forth his righteousness. So, all of this is just to prove that those three things cannot save you, that it is only faith. Verse number 16 again, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. Oh, I love that word, grace, 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 God. Oh, that's my name. Yeah, I was almost 26 and I didn't understand what my name meant. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, Jew and Gentile. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, many peoples. The peoples are all the peoples from all time that have come to God by believing God and it was counted unto them for righteousness. You know what God wants you to do according to verse 3? He wants you to believe him. Believe him. Believe the word of God. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Notice verse 19, we see faith. Verse 20, faith. It appears about 10 times the word in this chapter alone. But let's look at the faith of Abraham now. It says in verse 17, I have made thee, Abraham, a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead. What did Abraham believe? Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 through 6. You say, oh, it's a reference to his sacrifice of Isaac. No, it isn't. Oh, it's a reference to his circumcision. No, it isn't. Genesis 15 precedes both of those events. It was simply this. God said to Abraham, you're going to be a father of many nations. And the Bible in Genesis 15 says that Abraham believed the word of God. He believed what God said, and it was because of that, that was the reason he acted from that point, with exception, the rest of his life. He believed God that God would fulfill his promise. 
Look at verse 17. Even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Who, Abraham, against hope, believed in hope because God promised it. He promised it. And even though it seemed ludicrous, it seemed ridiculous that he, particularly at this age in Genesis 15, at that age, he wasn't going to have any children. How's he going to be the father of many nations? However, he believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Who against hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. <laughs> I ain't having no kids. Not naturally. I'm past have the age of having children. I'm impotent. By the way, Sarah is past the age of bearing children. However, I believe God. God said I'm going to be the father of many nations. Hope against hope. It's going to happen. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not, I love this verse, at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. That's why you were created, to please God, to bring glory to God. Unfortunately, men are not thankful. And consequently, they don't bring glory to God. That's Romans chapter number one. Giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. That takes you back to verse three. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but it was written for us. This faith illustration that Abraham staggered not at the promises of God. It was written for us because that's what faith is all about, not staggering at the promises of God. You must know what the promises are. That's why we read the Bible. But once you know what the promises are, we believe the promises of God. That's what Christianity is all about. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I believe that. I believe God. My salvation hangs on that passage and other passages like it. Now it was written, not written, verse 23, for his sake alone that it was imputed, Abraham, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. This is the importance of faith. Faith. I have to have a healthy fear of God. When, if you don't have a fear of God, you'll never come to salvation. 
If you, ne- you must. It's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. And it's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge. And if you never fear God, you'll never come to salvation. Proverbs 1, 7. Proverbs 1, 9. It just isn't going to happen. You must fear God. And when you fear God, knowledge comes. You understand who you are, who he is. Then repentance naturally falls from that when we realize that we are created, but we are fallen beings. And we take the word of God and we begin to read and begin to internalize what we're reading about God. And then we come to a place of trust and belief and commitment to him. That's what faith is all about. That's what Abraham did. That's what this chapter is all about. In verse number one of the next chapter, and I'm done, two more verses, watch. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith. Now, I'm going to stop right there and finish the sentence purposely. Mark is talking about access. He says, if you come to that gate and you don't come with thanksgiving, your prayers are worthless. Why go through the gate and come to the next in the next in the next item in the tabernacle? Why would you even do that? You must come in faith. You must come in, 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 in uh, with a genuine sense of repentance, and you must come with a thankful spirit and a thankful heart. Then access is granted. Liken it to my relationship with my wife. We carried on a romance for several months. At some point, I don't know if I or if she, I don't really honestly remember, said, I love you. One of us did first. We both didn't say it at the same time. And we began to internalize that. And the relationship picked up. And then one day, we went to an altar in St. Mary's Church in Monroe, New York, a Catholic church, and we exchanged vows. And you know what? I gained access to my wife. I don't mean that in an impure way. The gates opened, and she became mine. We exchanged vows. I believed her promises to me, and I made promises back to her. And 52 and a half years later, we're still at it. I got access because I believed her vow. She said, I'll be faithful. I will honor you. I will love you. I will keep you. I will forsake all others. You will be the only man in my life. And I told her she would be the only woman in my life. And 52 and a half years later, we can lay in bed and we talk about, boy, I'm so glad I married you. Yeah, we've had a couple bumps, maybe two or 3,000 of them along the way, but we're still married, and I'm glad 
I fell in love with you, and I'm glad. Look what God has given to us. We have five children. We have a ministry. We were lost when we, when, we, when we got married, and God brought salvation into our lives, and we've had a ministry together, and now we've got 14 grandchildren, and look at all the good things. We've got friends all over this country, friends all over the world. We can go to so many places and enjoy, and one of these days, I don't know if you'll go first or I'll go first, but one of these days we'll both be gone. And we'll get back together again in heaven with the Lord forever and ever and ever. You, Penny Grace, are the only one for me. That's faith. Do you have that kind of faith in the Lord? Lord, you're the only one for me. Father, we come to you this morning and thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for these truths and how important they are for us to grab a hold of and internalize them, to make them part of us, a reality. This is what spirituality and intimacy and knowing Christ is really all about. Help us, Lord, to take a step closer and to come to those gates with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.